This is a Dive to Brussels. Welcome to another one of our interviews. Uh, today I've got John Worth uh, speaking to me uh, on Skype. John is a blogger. Uh, on EU politics of many years standing. He's also uh, a teacher in uh, negotiation and communication at the College of Europe in Bruges. Uh, Based in Berlin, uh, he travels around an awful lot. And one of the things that he's been doing is uh, trying to map out the different possibilities of what happens next on on uh, Brexit. So I know this is always a question that to you, the listener, has is what's going to happen next? Uh, and John's got some really uh, useful ideas. We mentioned it in the episode, but if you want to have a look at what he does and if you want to contribute, he's very happy to uh, always do that. You can find uh, him at uh, johnworth.eu and that's J-O-N-W-O-R-T-H dot E-U. And you can find him on Twitter at John Worth. Um, and uh, please do contribute because uh, there's some really uh, useful work and, and some good ideas. So sit back, uh, enjoy the sunshine, assuming it's sunny where you are. And uh, here's John. Okay, uh, so we're we're talking uh, today about about forecasting, and the reason uh, I wanted to talk with you was that you have one of the more assiduous approaches to, to trying to work out what on earth is going on with uh, Brexit, um, with the uh, flowcharts that you've been doing. How long have you been doing those now? Is that... I've been doing it since the middle of January, so um, now six months or so. Okay, and how long does it feel as though you've been doing it? It feels a lot longer than that, because <laughs> I, I'm now on, I, on full versions of the diagram, 37 flowcharts so far, so... Um, Sometimes I was producing even multiple flowcharts on the same day when Brexit issues were um, were changing rather fast. Um, so yeah, but the, the thing is that now I have a kind of following for these flowcharts. So whenever something happens in Brexit, people are then quest- asking me the question: Could you produce another flowchart to make sense for this, please? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, it's one of the interesting things is everyone wants to know what's what's going to happen, and I. Uh, is that the main reason for doing it? You know, is it just you're, you're tired of people saying what's going to happen and this is an this attempt part, to provide an answer? The, I'm partly motivated by a book that sits on my bookshelf by the American psychologist Dan Airely, which is which is called Predictably Irrational. And somehow I came to the point of view that Brexit was that. It was everyone's... If you looked at the whole picture, it looked rather irrational, but that the behaviour of the individual actors within it was actually relatively predictable because we've seen now how members of parliament will behave. We've seen what the main preferences are of the European Union. So try and turn that into something that essentially look at how behaviour has been in the past and trying to basically plot what will then happen in the future. So that's what I was trying to do. The second thing I was really struck by was that in much, much of the Brexit commentary, everyone was saying that everything was impossible. Oh, there won't be an extension, there won't be no deal, um, Parliament won't vote for this, that or the other. But hang on a minute, something's got to happen because the clock is still ticking. So it was quite important with these diagrams to make sure that at every time there was going to be a decision, the chances had to add up to one, i.e. I had to confront or, or, or put... what seemed unlikely things against each other to work out which of what seemed unlikely was actually going to come to pass. And that gave me a kind of rigour of trying to look at the problem. 
So ultimately, at the beginning, it was part of a way of essentially structuring my own thoughts about what would happen in Brexit. And then what's happened over time is because a lot of people have found this method quite useful, um, then other people have then put, given me feedback into the, into the diagrams, and then it's kind of evolved as we've, as we've moved on. Um, there's obviously within it, uh, there are quite a lot of questions that I get as a result of these, these diagrams. People go, your outcome is wrong, to which my answer is, well, can you tell me which of my decision-making nodes is wrong, please? And sometimes people give me genuinely good feedback and help me plot new nodes on the diagram. And um, other times people say, well, you're trying to predict something that is ultimately impossible to predict. My answer to that would be is I'm actually putting on the diagrams of things which I think are predictable, and I'm studiously steering clear of the things which are just too difficult to predict. Whereas, for example, I can't tell you here and now if there were a general election in the UK, how such a general election would go. That's just too complicated to know. Whereas trying to work out what will happen in the next few weeks, for example, whether uh, Boris Johnson will even become prime minister, I think that, that is, that's possible to at least put some odds on. Yeah, that seems like one of the easier choices to, 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 to make as a, as a node and... Uh... Yeah, uh, in the scheme of things, uh, a general election is much more problematic, clearly. Uh, I need to find a sophologist to to also tell me why it's impossible, Uh, although I can just read their Twitter feeds uh, as well. Um, In terms of the the value of this, um, is it a valuable exercise? Has it clarified things in your mind and the mind of others? Um, And and that's why I've kept on doing it. The... The first diagram that I put odds on, um, which was on 29th of January, put the odds of a Brexit delay at 79%, which was, which in the end turned out to be what happened. Um, uh, I've also, lots of people keep on saying, well, in the absence of there being any consensus on Brexit, no deal is the most likely outcome. Going through these, making these Brexit diagrams, I've ultimately concluded that no deal is not the most likely outcome because there is a clear majority in Parliament against no deal. It's just the question is how can you actually stop no deal? So ultimately, I think that it's been useful in terms of giving some kind of um, uh, clarity as to what the outcome will be. Um, it's also helped people work out what ha- what is going to happen in what order um, and structuring that i.e. what to look out for in tomorrow's news or next week's news. Um, so in that regard, I think it's, it has definitely been useful. There is another thing which is quite interesting, is that I think my own mind works in a kind of if-this-then-that kind of format, so therefore making diagrams like this suits my own way of thinking. There are some people who've told me, we just don't understand that, we don't think that way, and that, I'm fine with that, of course. Um, but essentially, if politics is essentially, it can it has people have stable preferences, and certain decisions have an impact on decisions that will happen further down the line. Then th- this process is useful. I think it's also important that because I've followed British politics many years and have worked within it, and have also followed EU politics, I try to put the odds of both the UK side and the Brussels side into this. Um, because part of the difficulty I see is many people see Brexit either only from the London point of view or from the Brussels point of view. I hope I try and put both sides into these diagrams fairly. So it's, it's been a very useful process. It's also opened many doors, and I now get invited. I was at an academic conference on the weekend to present my latest Brexit diagram, so that's been really good. 
I don't know whether it's however been a good a good in terms of cost benefit. I've spent hundreds of hours making these diagrams. Um, and sometimes it feels like a bit of a burden when people are going, oh, we're waiting for the next diagram. Um, so, and, and because I don't get paid to blog, um, sometimes it's, it's felt like um, uh, sometimes a bridge too far to make yet another diagram. Um, but while these things are still useful, I suppose I'll keep on doing. Okay. I, yeah, I, well, I the, the cost benefit, I mean, as somebody who also likes to make diagrams and try and explain things, I also know that the, these things end up being surprisingly time consuming and uh one change at one point requires a lot of kind of knock-on effects as well um and I, think, I think there's something for also the way that you produce those diagrams and what i do here and also with my blog and um, there's something there's a kind of an ethical value in this which is to say I, I want to contribute to better quality understanding of what's happening with brexit and that just drives me forward ultimately um we have so much poor quality analysis of what's going on I will do whatever I can with whatever means I've got to try to improve the quality of that analysis, and and the diagrams I hope are one con- contribution to that. No, I, well, I, I'm not going to say that. No, I, I'm just doing it for myself. But I, I also know that I do do it for myself because I find that you know doing these kind of things is is uh, useful exercise in just unpacking and just going through the steps. And again, I think I have a slightly different approach from you, but it's the same kind of idea of well, let's just be a bit more systematic about this rather than, you know, if you're thinking about a media interview where you've got 30 seconds to explain what's going to happen and why, uh, you know, this is a way of sitting down and doing that. But, yeah, clearly there is a benefit in for others of, of trying to work through those steps. I, I guess the question then is that, that one you've already raised about how... How logic, you know, what's the logic of the system? And, you know, is it uh, if this, then that kind of model? Is it, you know, how do you cope with uh, the, the variability of choices? How, you know, what, what, what's your criterion or criteria for including or excluding something in, in these, these, uh, these models? So essentially, the, I will include things which are relatively predictable or, or the number of possible outcomes is we we know so only boris johnson or hunt can win once one or other of them has won there are only a certain number of options that can then happen indeed i think there are then basically four ways they could approach brexit so that you can work out and you can at least structure that what i also try to do with the diagrams is have have them running chronologically from top to bottom. That causes some difficulties because sometimes there's something that might happen now or might happen later, and we don't necessarily know in which order things will happen. So I try and manage to accomplish that in in as far as possible as well. There are then... I I then try to exclude things where I simply cannot predict what is going to happen. I, I want to clear things up in people's minds, not just make things more complicated. So exactly how a general election would go i don't know how a future eu referendum would go i don't know there are too many factors that Mm -hmm. we'd have to put into that that i simply can't include there are also certain things which ultimately i've sometimes put on the diagram in gray there aren't many of those gray routes on the most recent diagram but things which just for illustrative purposes i want to show to people i've considered it but the chances of it coming to pass are simply too low um, so at the moment, for example, Jeremy Hunt winning the Tory leadership 
the chances of that happening I judge to be too low. It's on the diagram as a possibility, but I don't try and put odds on it. Um, or, for example, the, the, the chances that you would prorogue Parliament, I eliminate that because I think it's not politically po going to be possible, and so therefore I don't include it. So, so that, that's my, um, those are my rules. If it's too implausible, I may include it just to show that it's possible, but don't put odds on it. Uh, and if it's just simply too complicated to predict, then I'm not going to include that either, because I've got some stick, for example, of, of having a general election as an end state in my diagrams which is not really an end state because it will only lead to something then subsequently happening. Um, so I, I can't predict anything beyond the next month to six weeks, but I'm not likewise not even going to try. So th those are my criteria. It's also important, what data am I using to work out what the probability is going to be? So I'm basically using votes in how members of parliament have voted in the past, also what's been, what was in the indicative votes, uh, the eight indicative votes uh, that happened back in um, uh, the beginning of April, were extremely useful to see how the parties would, would break down. I also used some polling data, but of course you've got to, you've got to take that with a pinch of salt. Um, I also used quite a, um, some of the betting data, which you can get from politicalbetting.com. I also include that as well. I also make some kind of assumptions about the hierarchy of preferences of the individual politicians in, in, in question. So my preference essentially for Boris Johnson is essentially that Boris Johnson would first and foremost try to retain power. Second, that if he, it would be to position the Conservative Party either closer to the Brexit Party or closer to the centre, that he will position it closer to the Brexit Party. Um, but that he is a political risk taker, i.e. if those two things would fail, he might be willing to risk a general election. So that I have that sort of assumption of the hierarchy for, a, for an actor within, um, uh, within that. I also have on the EU side, I, I think that the EU is playing a little bit of bluff, this idea that the withdrawal agreement cannot be opened under any circumstances. I take the opinion there that if the withdrawal agreement, if there were a proposal to change the withdrawal agreement that were in the interests of the EU, that the EU would be willing to open it again. Um, something like, for example, returning the backstop to the original Northern Ireland only version. I think that will be in the EU's interest to do that. So in such a circumstance, it may be willing to open, uh, open the backstop. So I try to not take public statements too literally by politicians um, because they may have a reason of being more categoric in public than they'd actually be willing to be in private. Mm. And I think this is one of the big challenges is that a lot of people say a lot of things uh, and uh, whether that's what they actually will do. Uh, I think we've seen time and again in this process that that's not the not the case. And, uh, right, exactly. So, so it's therefore very important to base this on how they've actually behaved. Um, but again, we, that's not all, always known. So again, it has to have an element of of educated guessing in this. Um, but bear in mind also there's, there's a component in this. There's some stuff we simply, in terms of procedure, we simply don't know. Because bearing in mind that this thing, what, what will happen next week, what happens if Boris Johnson wins the Conservative leadership on Tuesday next week and two members of Parliament, that's all you need, just to cross the floor to deny the Tories plus the DUP a majority. Like, in such a circumstance, who does the Queen ask to form a government if Theresa May even goes to uh, the palace to ask uh, to, to tender her resignation? We do not know under such a circumstance exactly how that's supposed to work. So the, uh, 
so therefore trying to include that in the diagram is of course very difficult because then even in terms of the procedure we don't actually know how that would work out um, so I, I have to I have to just basically there go on the best academic advice there is um, and again consulting with people like you or Rob Ford or the people from the UCL Constitution Unit or um, the Institute for Government to try to work out to make sure at least my my understanding of the procedures is correct before then trying to put a prediction and put a number on um, uh, on the likelihood of each node. Well, yeah, I, I think this is maybe where you know the the, the next big question is you know that that you know the, there are things which are improbable but which still can happen and some you know sometimes we have had things that look really quite uh not bizarre it's the wrong word but just uh it's not what you would have imagined would have happened uh, at a first cut and uh you know how that you know things then move on debates you know i guess one of you know to put it in a more bounded kind of way thinking about the revisions you've been doing since january what are the you know what are the things that matter in this? Is it you know who who shapes this process? Is it what the EU does? Is it what someone in the UK does? Is it just the passage of time? You know, you know what what for you have been in in this period the the most determining factors? The most important determining factor here for all actors is ultimately what is the path of least resistance. That's the most important. The path of least resistance is essentially the thing. What, let's take, for example, what happened after Britain was granted a Brexit delay. Um, the, the UK had essentially three options. Oust Theresa May, hold a general election or hold a referendum, ultimately, if you wanted something that might be a solution. So what did it do? It went for the path of least resistance. It got rid of Theresa May, ultimately. So the next question is then is going to be, at the next stage, what's therefore going to be the next path of least resistance or one where there are enough actors who see something positive in it? So that's been, that's been a kind of a, 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 dominant, a dominant factor uh, within this. Um, what's happened on the EU side, ultimately, uh, has actually not changed these diagrams very much right from the very beginning because my assumption in the hierarchy of preferences on the EU side has essentially remained unchanged. The EU would... The EU, first and foremost, wants clarity in this process, and it can live with either Britain making up its mind to remain or making up its mind to leave in an orderly fashion. Though the EU can deal with that. What the EU does not want is no deal, And bearing in mind all of that, the EU also, in this whole process, does not want to look like a spiteful actor, i.e. it doesn't want to look like it's pushing Britain out. And so that hierarchy from the EU side has remained relatively unchanged. The only thing that time, I think, has probably changed on all of that is I'm now increasingly of the view that if Britain came to October now this year and didn't have an outcome and just said... EU, can you give us more time? And this time didn't have a reason. The chances that they would get such an extension without a reason would be harder than had been the case back in March. Mm. So I think there's a hardening of just kind of just keeping on extending simply because the EU's demand for clarity has been increasing. What I think you've seen on the the UK side over time has been a, 
a radicalisation, i.e. a determination by the Brexiteers to say, we want Brexit at any cost, and on the Remainer side to really actually to increase the, 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 the demand, at least, should I say, let's just stop the clock on this whole thing. Um, the, the difficulty is, is neither of those sides can kind of predominate over and above the other one. Um, so I think that that's a, a something that's also a change a little bit. And lastly, uh, and this has caused some confusion about the current situation, I'm looking towards next week and whether Boris Johnson even becomes prime minister or not. There is a difference between whether Boris Johnson has confidence of the House to be prime minister versus whether members of parliament will be willing to back his Brexit plan. Because, for example, I can't see any of these Labour radicals, that or Labour and uh, uh, Brexiteers like Caroline Flint, they might back Boris Johnson's Brexit plans, but they're never going to be have confidence in Boris Johnson as prime minister because he's everything they don't stand for, for example. So there's, at the moment, we have a bit more of a party political focus in this discussion and a bit less of a kind of a Brexit outcomes focus. So that depends on the time as to whether it's more of a party political game or more of a kind of an actual Brexit game. And I feel we're in a very kind of party political phase of this um, uh, of the development of the situation just now. Yeah, and I think that that's been a real challenge, is that it's clear that from Labour's uh, viewpoint, this has all been a wonderful opportunity to try and unseat the government and to bring about the destruction of the Conservative Party and uh, all the other uh, grand delinquent uh, uh, things that uh, that you hear from the the Labour leadership, and yeah. you know how that then shapes their behaviour. You know that uh, it's, it's the second most difficult question in Brexit is what's Labour's Brexit policy, and my answer always is that uh, its policy is to have a Labour government, and uh, that will be the the routes to to sorting everything out. And uh, we just need to do that, and that's all all that there is to it. Um, but how that then shapes. The, the UK domestic uh, architecture of what you support and what you don't support and uh, how much you try and keep your MPs uh, on side, um, I think is, is one of the, the real complicating factors, particularly when you have, the, as you say, this uh, parliament that's so finely balanced between the, the government coalition and uh, everyone else. Yep, absolutely. Um, thinking... Uh, ahead. Uh, we're speaking now on the 16th of July this evening. We're going to have the, the vote in the European Parliament with uh, uh, finding out whether the European Parliament votes for Ursula von der Leyen uh, as Commission President, um, which I don't know. My, my impression is that, uh, and you, you were tweeting about this yesterday, is that she probably has enough votes to get that through. Yep. How much do you think there will be a change in the way the Commission approaches this. So we, we know that the Commission doesn't control the process on the European side. It negotiates for the member states. It has the same mandate, so that's not changing. How much of a, a different person do you think she would be to Jean-Claude Juncker? I don't think it makes any significant difference to the, to the overall to the Brexit outcome. Um, she, she said in her letter to Renew Europe, the Liberal group in the European Parliament, that she would herself be in favour of giving Britain more time. Um, I think her line is the typical German line. The German government line has essentially been, well, if Britain needs more time, we'd probably be willing to grant it. But I don't think ultimately that that is too much different from what Juncker would have done. The only question ultimately will be, 
and we don't really know the answer to this at the moment, is what would happen if Barnier were replaced as chief negotiator? Um, because he was then also in the frame at some point as whether he might be mm. a possible commission president. So the only scenario I can see where in the short term this would change as a result of the games and the commission would be that von der Leyen doesn't get, get, doesn't get through this evening. The EPP seeks an alternative to von der Leyen and goes back to the idea of having Barnier as commission president. Having von der Leyen herself, I don't think that that's going to be any difficulty. Her main priority for the next few months is to assemble a commission team that would get the approval of the European Parliament, and also not least because it will, the Liberals and the Social Democrats are rather reluctantly backing her. So I don't think she's Brexit is really a short-term priority for von der Leyen, so ultimately I don't see that there'd be any diff difficulty. For me, the important question to work out what ultimately would happen is... We know that Macron was strongly against a long Brexit delay back in March. To me, the important question in the medium term is, what would Macron do if Britain needs another Brexit delay in the autumn? Now, there are two different things, two different factors here. The first could be to say, hang on a minute, Britain's just wasted this time, not give them a further extension. That's one route. Mm. But the other route is the reason Macron wanted to be tough on the British was for his own domestic reasons back in the spring, because he was facing uh, Le Pen, who was quite strong prior to a European election. So now the European elections are out of the way, maybe Macron could relent to a certain extent. So to me, the big, the big question mark ultimately on the EU side is not in the Commission, but is in the behaviour of France and what they would do if Britain needed a further Brexit delay in the autumn. I ultimately come to the point of view that were it for a general election or a referendum, the EU would easily grant another Brexit delay. If it were just because Britain is deadlocked, I'm not altogether certain. But ultimately, I think that the Commission would go along with whatever the member states would, would, would be in favour of. And so I don't think ultimately that von der Leyen is going to be a significant factor there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's kind of an annoyance factor of von der Leyen because essentially it gives... It gives something to Eurosceptics who say, ah, look at those pro-Europeans. They said the EU was democratic, and look, they've just decided to, to appoint someone as commission president who kind of emerged out of nowhere, out of a backroom deal. Uh, so that's a bit that's a bit frustrating. Um, but ultimately, the Eurosceptics will criticise the EU for a lack of democracy, come what may. So um, uh, if they've got if the EU had gone for Manfred Weber, they would have blasted Manfred Weber for being boring instead. So you probably can't win in that regard. But ultimately. Von der Leyen, I see it as being neither here nor there for the total overall outcome for Brexit. No, and just going back to your point about Macron, he's not actually been so vociferous about the Brexit issue in the last month or so. It's not you, exactly. you, don't, you don't have the impression that he's out uh, campaigning for his point of view, rather yeah. you know, in the way that he 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 maybe was uh, before. You know, kicking up a bit of a fuss. Um, okay. Uh, just uh, maybe just as a kind of a, a final sort of uh, set of uh, thoughts is just thinking about where next you, you've talked about the kind of the time horizon that the, the approach you've been taking imposes that we kind of get to the autumn where we're going to have to make some choices about uh, how much you know which of the options we have and, and it's, it's been it's a very important time but actually, I should maybe mention this earlier. So the, the current Brexit diagram, version 7.1, which is up on my blog in the third series. Plug it, it plug it. You've got to get the URL so everyone can come anyway, on. Anyway, so it's, 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 um, so it's at johnworth.eu, and then there's at the top of the blog, then it, the, the, the Brexit diagram, so kind of the image carousel. Anyway, so see, the Brexit diagram, uh, series 3, version 7.1, is the latest at the time that we're talking here. The interesting thing there is it has... 
there are two opportunities, as I see it, for political chaos, as if we've not got chaos enough at the moment, but for real political chaos to break out in the UK. It's either next week, 23rd, 24th of July, when the Conservative leadership is announced, and do members of Parliament, um, like Dominic Grieve or Kenneth Clark, immediately cross the floor, or does the Labour Party bring a no-confidence vote in Boris Johnson, i.e., does all of this come to a head next week, or does all of this come to a head only in September, when Boris Johnson has had an effort to try to seek a Brexit solution, and chances are it has failed? Now, I've changed the numbers in my Brexit diagram, and indeed, if anyone listening here who wants to experiment with this, all of the data I use for the Brexit diagrams is also available to download on the blog, so you can, you can experiment with the Excel table if you want. I put in it the numbers for if there would be the crisis now or the crisis in September, and ultimately, it makes relatively little difference to the overall outcome, because you still end up with the highest chance of having a general election, because ultimately... The central problem, as I see it in most of the analysis about Brexit on the, on the British side at the moment, is Boris Johnson and the Conservatives are still behaving in their rhetoric as if they command a parliamentary majority. At the moment, they have a majority together with the DUP of just three seats. That majority will drop to two seats probably after the Brecon and Radnor by-election on the 1st of August. And so that crucial issue then is essentially that the rhetoric and what is actually going to happen. There's a massive difference between those two. But anyway, but having run the numbers, I ultimately come to the point of view that it, whether we have the crisis now or the crisis at the beginning of September, it still puts Britain on the verge of a general election. And that's actually been a very interesting outcome in the, in the, in the, current, um, uh, the current diagram. Just the difficulty is, is if that crisis comes in September, then Britain is right up against it because the, the, the 31st of October deadline. So ultimately, as a kind of a point of ethics rather than a point of prediction. I prefer all of this actually went wrong now because it would give Britain more time to be able to solve it rather than actually having to do it with a kind of deadline of the clock ticking uh, in the autumn. Um, but ultimately, I still, regardless of when it breaks down, uh, the chances are still highest, according to the predictions of the diagram, that the general election would be the most likely outcome. Does this make life more manageable? Uh, is maybe a good question you know do, do you feel that you've got more of a handle on on things now as a result of, of doing this yes yes because i i i have a kind of an answer that rather than it just being a sort of gut feeling here i think i've actually worked through um and it means that if something else happens I can also say, right, I know why that came to pass instead. And there's also something very important here as well, that when, for example, some, some of these unlikely things have happened in the Brexit uh, game, when, for example, John Burko didn't allow a third meaningful vote um, in Parliament, I had that as only a 10% chance on my diagram, but I at least had it on my diagram as an option. I, it at least makes me, so I at least know if this happens, then what the next step will be. Mm -hmm. um, so it gives a clarity to mean that I'm, I feel then that whatever happens next week, in my own mind, I'm prepared. Right? So whatever question will come, and as has happened quite a lot recently, I normally when anything breaks in Brexit, I'm in a television studio in, for, for some German TV channel. I know that whatever will happen, I know what the consequences of that will be because I've mapped them. 
I even in addition to the Brexit diagram, I was I actually someone suggested to me could I actually write up implausible Brexit scenarios, i.e. the ones which are so difficult to predict that I haven't put them on a diagram. Mm -hmm. So I've even predicted, I've even prepared myself for those two. So I, I, the, making the diagram gives kind of rigor for my own understanding of what's of what's going to happen. But if I were to ultimately come to the point of view that I still think that it's odds on. That, that Britain is going to have to have a general election some point between now and the 31st of October. Okay. Well, it looks like you're going to be doing a lot more new versions of this diagram at some point, and uh, we're all going to be very busy trying to make sense of it. Thank you very much for speaking with me. And uh, if you want to go and have a look at the diagrams, if you want to contribute, particularly important, and we've been talking about this uh, in other forums, just the the more people contribute, the, the, the better the rigour of the data. Uh, would that yeah. be fair to say? Uh, then uh, johnworth.eu, uh, uh, and we can put a link on the website as well. And uh, thank you very much, John. And thank you very much indeed for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. Okay.